Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Well, good evening, Hope Church. How you guys doing this evening? Excited. My family and I just had the amazing opportunity after serving for 10 years at Hope to go on an extended vacation, extended sabbatical, and it was amazing just to travel with my family, my wife, and my four children, and great, awesome time. But I have to confess to you, I have a, a hobby that I like to uh, partake in when I travel. Maybe some of you can resonate, maybe some of you will think I'm a little weird when I tell you what this is, but when you're traveling, you see you got lots of different people in lots of different places, and so you're on the beach, or you're on an airport, or you're driving down the highway, or you're at a lot of different restaurants, and for me, something that I like to do, and maybe you do as well, is some good old-fashioned people watching, right? You sit back, and people don't necessarily know you're watching them, but you're just kind of seeing some situations play out right before your eyes, and sometimes those honestly are great situations. You see a dad and the way he's interacting with his kids, or something happens at a restaurant that could go bad, and he, he handles it in a really good way, or, or she handles it in a really good way, and you kind of sit back and you say, oh, man, that was, that was great. That was, I, I wish, I hope if I'm in there, ever in that situation, I handle that the same way. And that's fun and all, but the other side of the coin is much more entertaining right? It's the, it's the side where you're sitting front row to kind of a train wreck happening in real life right before your very eyes. You see something going down at the airport or something, somebody got mad at a stewardess for something she said or something is happening and you sit back and you go, how is this person going to handle it? And honestly, they don't handle it very well. You would say that person maybe handled that very unwisely or very foolishly. I thought about that as we begin our discussion tonight on what we're going to talk about out of the book of Ephesians. The reality that whether people are watching our lives or not, you and I have the opportunity every day we live our lives to walk in a way that is admirable and wise or to walk in a way that is unwise and foolish. If you have a Bible, you can turn it to Ephesians chapter 5. If you're new to hope, you don't know that we have been studying verse by verse through the New Testament book of Ephesians. If you aren't new to Hope and this is your home, you know that we are in a series and we have been for several weeks now through the book of Ephesians called Walk This Way. And to conclude this series, we're studying 20 verses in Ephesians chapter 5 where God gives us 15 commands. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word command, but remember what we've said. When God gives us commands, he is not an evil dictator that's telling us all what we can and can't do because he wants us to try to earn his love in some weird cosmic way. When we read about God's commands, he is giving us those commands to protect us and to show us the best way to live. Pastor Vance said it best when he said, whenever you see in the Bible God saying, do this thing, that's really your loving father asking you and telling you, hey, do this and help yourself. When you read the word of God and you see things where he says, don't do this, don't walk in this way or don't do this, that is really your loving and gracious father saying, hey, don't hurt yourself. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, we find one of these commands. It says, be imitators of God as beloved children. A few weeks ago, Pastor Vance unpacked that verse. You can go online and check that out. But we are really, over the last few weeks, looking at how that plays out in our lives, being imitators of God. And so a couple weeks ago, Pastor Jeff talked about what it looks like to walk in love. Last week, Pastor Travis looked at what it looks like to be imitators of God and walk in light. And today we have the awesome privilege to look at God's word and see what it looks like to be imitators of God and walk in wisdom. That is their task at hand tonight to answer the question, how as Jesus followers do you and I walk in wisdom? So if you have a copy of God's word, we're going to read three verses tonight out of Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen here, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Here's what the word of God says for us tonight. Paul says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In our time together tonight, I want to break down these three verses, kind of verse by verse. And so we'll start there in verse 15. Paul says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Now, with this word careful is a very special word. It's a, it's a word that talks about extreme care. The word careful is really a word that talks about I- intense scrutiny. This is not random or accidental. Paul is challenging us, be very serious and careful and exercise extreme care with how you walk or with how you live. When I thought about a way in my life where I've had to exercise extreme care, I thought about 10 years ago was the first time I held my firstborn son, Bryce. Now, I was 23 years old. I hadn't been married very long, and we had now had a child. And you have to understand about me, I was the baby of my family. So I didn't have younger brothers or sisters. I didn't have a lot of friends that had babies. And so I was the youngest one, and I could count on one hand how many babies I had held in my entire life. So God, in his audacity, gave me and my wife a child, this man who never really held more than three or four babies, and now I have been given this baby, not only to hold one time, but to like keep holding and make sure he keeps living somehow in his life. And I had to hold this baby. And so the doctor hands me my son, Bryce, for the first time. You talk about some extreme care. My wife and I, we we laugh every time we see the picture, but we have a a picture in the Worthington archives, and it's honestly a really awkward picture because I'm trying to smile for the camera, but I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm freaking out on the inside. Why? Because there's doctors and nurses and people watching me expecting me to know how to care for this child, and I'm not really sure what to do. I don't want to make a wrong move. I don't want to drop him in front of all these people, and I am exercising extreme care. It's obviously a pretty intense example, but this is what Paul is talking about here when he's saying, listen, do not do something, do this on purpose. This is not random or accidental. This takes intention. This is every move is thought about because it's precious. Maybe it's not a baby, but we understand this kind of living in our daily lives. Maybe for you, it's a big presentation at work that you have cared over and you have have really taken time and taken it very seriously. If I were to come up to you the day before your big presentation at work and I asked you about slide number 10 on the PowerPoint presentation, you'd be able to tell me everything there is to know about slide number 10. Why? Because you took it very seriously. You cared for it. It was precious to you. 
Maybe for you, it's the first time you got a new car. I remember right out of college, I needed to get a new vehicle. My air conditioning went out on my other one. So I bought a new vehicle, and it wasn't anything spectacular. It was a 2007 Ford Focus, but I thought that thing might as well have been the nicest Ferrari on the lot, okay? I got in that thing, and I'm carefully taking the seatbelt out. And if anyone tries to turn up the radio, I'm asking them to hold on so I can do it right. And I'm taking extreme care because it's precious to me. But eventually we know that preciousness wears off. We get kind of used to the things that we're used to, and all of a sudden we don't care the way we used to care. And Paul here is challenging us right in the beginning of this verse. He says, be careful how you walk. Be serious, Jesus follower, with how you live, with how you walk. Because this life that God has given you is precious. You say, why is Paul saying this? I believe he understands like we do that you and I don't magically one day wake up and are passionate, wise, mature followers of Jesus. Over the course of our lives as we carefully walk, watch how we walk and we carefully with intention and with with purpose look at our lives, God begins to mature us and walk us down this road of being wise and mature followers of Jesus. He's saying be careful how you walk. And he says this, not as unwise, but as wise. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Wisdom or wise, that's really an interesting word. It's a word that we hear a lot in our culture. It's definitely a word we hear a lot in church. But have you ever thought about what the word actually means? Like if we were to go around the room tonight, and we're not going to do this, but I were to go to each one of you individually and ask you to write down a definition of the word wisdom, I want you to think for a minute, what would you say? A lot of times for me, when I think of wisdom, I actually don't think of what the definition of the word is, but I think of people in my life that characterize wisdom. I'd say, man, that person is a wise person. Maybe you do the same Thing. So I thought we'd have some fun with that tonight, and I brought in some, a few pictures of some people that I think we could all agree are extremely wise. The first one that we're going to show tonight is Mr. James Earl Jones. Now, that is a man right there that definitely looks wise. I mean, you want to sit down and have some coffee with that guy and talk to him about his life. But more than he looks wise, we can all agree that man sounds extremely wise. He is the voice, of course, of Darth Vader. One time in, in, uh, in college, somebody gave me a, a CD of James Earl Jones narrating the King James Version Bible. You want to talk about some wisdom. But what, he, what he's done really recently that's kind of made me on a high right now is this is the wise, awesome voice of King Mufasa, Right? My family and I went and saw Friday morning the new Lion King, and James Earl Jones was the voice of Mufasa in 94, and he's the voice of Mufasa in 2019. And here's what you got to know about Mufasa. When this lion speaks, the entire pride land listens. He exudes wisdom, right? Maybe you would agree with that. Secondly, maybe you're not so much a Lion King fan, but a Lord of the Rings fan. This is Gandalf. This is the great and wise wizard of Middle-earth in J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings series. He's got the long gray beard. He's got the gray hair. This man exudes wisdom, maybe, for you. So I thought we'd bring it a little closer to home here at Hope Church. For me, if I ever have a question about life or ministry, there is one pastor on our staff that just totally exemplifies all things wisdom. And I know you already know who it is, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Tom McCormick. Listen, 
I'm not even being facetious. I'm so serious. Listen, if I ever need advice about ministry, about Greek words, about parenting, about anything, I literally knock on his door. I bug him constantly throughout the week, and I sit on his couch, and I promise you, Pastor Tom is always ready to preach a sermon on whatever topic I have need of. For maybe for you, it's your grandparents or a favorite teacher. But usually when we think of wise or wisdom, we think of people that we know that we would say exemplify wisdom. But what does the word wisdom actually mean? What does it mean to be wise? If you didn't know, this is important for us to understand. There's actually an entire section of God's word that is referred to as the wisdom literature. Books like the book of Job and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs. I mean, you can't read one or two Proverbs a day without coming across this word about being wise or wisdom. We all know these verses, but have you ever thought about what they truly mean? In Proverbs 13, 20, it says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 28, 6, He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. There are dozens and dozens of verses, and there's all this talk about wisdom. Even our passage today says, hey, walk as wise men, not as unwise. So the elephant in the room, or maybe the elephant in the church tonight is, what on earth does it mean to be wise? 2007, I began attending Hope Church, and we were at a little building on Pebble Road, and we were walking through Proverbs in a series all, through, all throughout the summer. And back then, Pastor Vance and the pastoral team, they gave us a definition of wisdom that I think is so helpful. Anytime I see that word in culture, anytime I see that word in the word of God, I think of this definition. Here's the biblical definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to see life from God's perspective. Wisdom, the ability to see life from God's perspective. This is very important because sometimes you thought wisdom meant intelligence or wisdom meant really taking time to learn something. Wisdom has nothing to do with time spent living life. Wisdom is time spent seeing life from God's perspective. There are students that come to our Wednesday night Converge service that might be way wiser than the gray-haired people that call Hope Church their home. It has nothing to do with how long you've lived and has everything to do with how long you've seen life from God's perspective. You say, see life from God's perspective. That kind of sounds like an unattainable standard. I mean, I'm just little old me. How can I see life from God's perspective? That sounds impossible. And you're right. In and of ourselves, in our flesh, we would never be able to gain or acquire this wisdom that we are being challenged to walk in. But God is so good that he promises in his word to give it to us. When we just ask him, look at James chapter 1, verse 5. This is such a cool verse. James 1, 5. If you need wisdom, and that's all of us, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. So I hope you see how this is kind of framing up. Paul here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 is saying to Jesus' followers, take extreme care. Be careful. Watch and guard your life. Be serious and be intentional and pursue wisdom. How do you pursue wisdom? You ask God. So you are constantly saying, God, I need you to give me your perspective of my family. I need you to see, I need you to allow me to see my workplace from your perspective. How do you walk in wisdom? You're constantly asking our generous God, allow me to see what's in front of me, my circumstances, my family, my situation. Allow me to see that from your perspective. This is how Paul is challenging us to walk. 
in verse 16, he really starts to unpack how we can see that happen. Verse 15 was kind of the what. Here's what I want you to do. Be careful and walk in wisdom. And in verse 16, he kind of explains one way that we do that. And to frame that up, we, we kind of called it the word of wisdom that Paul gives us. The word of wisdom, and then there's a word of warning. Here's the word of wisdom. He says, make the most of your time. Make the most of your time. If you didn't know, the, the New Testament is primarily written in the Greek language. Obviously, m- many of us don't know Greek, and so thank God we have the English translations of our Bibles. But a lot of times, some of the words that are translated into English kind of lose its sting with what the original author, in this case, Paul, is trying to say. An example of that that we see a lot is when we talk about the word love, right? In English, I say I love ice cream. Like, I really do love ice cream. I ate a lot of ice cream on vacation. It was glorious. I love ice cream. But I also love my wife. And in English, I say I love ice cream and I love my wife. And you know I don't love ice cream the same way I love my wife, but there's only one English word that we use to convey that, and that's love. But in Greek, there's different ways to say you love ice cream and you love your wife. And so sometimes we have to understand there are some Greek words behind the English words that we read in our Bibles. And this is a perfect example of that. When Paul here says, make the most of your time, Paul did not use the word chronos, which is, sounds like chronology, sounds like chronological. It's really, it's clock time. It's the time we mostly think about. There's a, a clock in the back of the room that's ticking up seconds right now that make up minutes, that make up hours, that make up days. And it's, it's a chronological timeline, and that is not the word Paul uses. So why is that important? Because the word Paul uses is kairos, and kairos is a word that doesn't mean seconds and minutes and hours. The word kairos is a word that means notes measured or allocated or fixed for a season. You say, I don't really understand why that has anything to do with what we're talking about. Here is why it's a big deal. Paul is not saying here that you and I should make the most of our seconds and minutes and hours that will go on forever with or without us. The sobering reality of this verse behind the scenes is that Paul is saying here, make the most of the very limited, allocated, fixed season of life that you have on this earth. And that's humbling. But the reality is, Scott Worthington's days are numbered. There is a fixed, allocated set of moments that I have and you have on this planet. And Paul here is saying, make the most of your time on this earth because it will not last forever. Our days on this earth are very short. James 4 verse 14 says this well. He says, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Paul doesn't say to make the most of the minutes that are going to go on regardless of what we do. He says, make the most of your allocated fixed time that you and I have on planet Earth. This is kind of a a sobering thought to think about, but I looked up some stats this week, and the the average life expectancy for a person in our country in 2019 is 79.7 years. Now, praise God, at Hope Church, we got some people that are way past that, and we praise God they have beat that life expectancy, and that is amazing. And of course, we got a lot of people that are looking at 79.7, they're thinking that is so far away. Well, I promise you, the people that have already beat that life expectancy are looking at you and saying it goes faster than you think. 
79.7 years. The reality is we'll live approximately 80 years on this earth. And every day you and I have an opportunity to either make the most of the time that God has given us, investing it, asking him what he wants us to do with it, being wise with it, being intentional, living on purpose. Or we have the option to squander the time that God has given us, to waste our lives, if you will. To help us see the magnitude of this, our, our teaching team kind of came up with two realities about time that hopefully will frame this up for us as we continue to discuss this tonight. Here's the first reality I think we can all get around. First reality of time is our time on earth will definitely be short. We already talked about that. Even if we live to 100, in the scope of eternity, in the scope of human history, 100 years is just what James said. It's a, a blip. It's a vapor. It's a mist. 100 years. Our time on earth will definitely be short. But here's the second reality of time. Our time on earth will potentially be significant. Now you think, man, that was a little harsh. What do you mean potentially? Why only potentially? Because, again, we have to understand God is not a dictator and we are not his robots that is going to make us make the most of our time. You and I have been given this precious life to be a steward over. And the reality is, as a Jesus follower, I can take the life that God has given me. And if I choose to, I can invest in what I want to invest in. I can do what I want to do. And I can look back after months and years and decades and I could have wasted the life that God has given me. We have that option. So our time on earth will definitely be short, but our time on earth will potentially be significant, depending on how you and I do what this verse says and make the most of our time. So the question we have to wrestle with in our own hearts tonight, what are we doing with the limited moments that we have on this earth? Back in college, I'm just a normal college student making decisions, planning out my life, who I'm going to marry, what I'm going to do for a living, and the whole thing that college students go through. And I was so grateful to get a CD of a pastor that we quote here a lot at Hope named John Piper. And he was talking to people just like me. This guy's in his 70s, pastored for decades, and, and really is passionate about this specifically for young people, everything we're talking about tonight. And so he actually preached at a passion conference way back in early 2000s, and he was talking to 20,000 college students on this idea of not wasting their lives. It's been turned into a book, and, and it, and it kind of changed the way I view all this stuff early on in my journey with Jesus. I love what he said on this topic of time. He said, time is precious. We are fragile. Life is short. Eternity is long. Every minute counts. Oh, to be a faithful steward of the breath God has given me. I know this got a little dark, and, and maybe for some of you, you're getting a little freaked out about just the, 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 end, time, the end thing of time. Like, man, this is all going to come to an end at some point. But this shouldn't freak us out, honestly, as much as it should inspire us. Like, yes, our time on this earth is short. But everything that we just read in God's word is also true, that he wants to use your life in a very, very powerful way. To look over the, the, the past centuries and to see how God used regular old people filled up with his spirit to entirely change the world is inspiring. Yes, our time is short, but your time on this earth can be incredibly significant if you make the most of your time, if you are a faithful steward of your moments. 
So all this talk of time kind of got me thinking about the things that we do day to day that honestly add up pretty quickly over the course of our lives. And so I did what most of us would do is I started just Googling how much time the average American spends doing certain things. So we'll have some fun with that tonight. Did you know that because we sleep six to seven to eight hours a day, depending on who you are, if you add that up over the course of your lifetime, you and I will actually be asleep for 20 years of our lives. 20 years, you will not be spending time with your family or working or driving or whatever it is you want to do. 20 years of our lives will actually just be counting sheep in our sleep. But it's necessary. That's how God made our bodies, to sleep. Another thing we have to do is we have to eat, right? We have to nourish our body. And so I started doing some research. How, how much do we eat, even if it's just a snack here or a, a dinner, you know, dinner appointment there? How much time do we spend eating? And over the course of our lives, on average, we will spend 32,000 hours eating or 1,000 days. So three years of your life will be spent with food in your mouth. And, of course, I thought, well, if you got to eat, you also got to do something else. So I started really Googling and on average, the average person in the world will actually spend 92 days in the bathroom. Some of you wives are elbowing your husbands and thinking, I knew you were in there forever. 92 days, that is crazy. Obviously, that is not wasted time. We have to sleep, we have to eat, we have to go to the bathroom. But then I started thinking about things that I do personally in my life that I could say are pretty much always a waste of time. Maybe some of you are already thinking it, but I thought of something that I'm heavily involved in. And I'm thinking, man, this has really only been an option for us for the past 15 years or so. And so I started cautiously Googling some stats that I wasn't sure I was prepared to see quite yet. Of course, I'm talking about social media and the time we spend mainly on our cell phones, staring at a screen, scrolling, clicking. So I won't show you my number, because by the way, you can mostly find it on your smartphone. You can actually see on your app how much minutes and how much time this day and this week and this month you've spent on social media. But on average, I looked up the stats, and on average, we as Americans spend two hours per day on social media. Now, the early services, that kind of got a wow, because that seemed really high to them. We got a lot of young people in this service, and I know a lot of you guys are thinking, that is nothing. <laughs> two hours why it's an average. So for average sake, two hours a day on social media. So I got my calculator out and I started thinking through this. If I spend two hours a day on social media, that's 14 hours per week. That's 730 hours per year. Which believe it or not, that means for me, 30 days of my year will not be spent interacting with real human beings, but will be spent scrolling and double tapping and commenting, and snapping, and scrolling. And I don't know about you, but that was very challenging for me. I am the chief of sinners, right? I, this is not against anybody. I was looking at the screen, and I was thinking, wow, 10% of my 2019 will be spent looking at, observing from a distance people I may or may not know, and not investing in my actual real life. And I was wrecked. I thought about my kids. I have four young kids, nine, seven, five, and four. And if you've ever been called out by a seven-year-old for putting your phone away, it'll humble you real quick. Hey, Dad, put your phone away. Eesh. But I thought about the reality that as they grow up, 
They're not going to care in my life. This is me. This is my conviction. In my life, my kids are not going to care about how many followers I had or how many likes I got on that picture that I spent so much time crafting to make perfect with a perfect caption. My kids are looking at my life and saying, Dad, would you spend some time with us in real life? Not through the lens of a camera so you can post it for other people to see. We just want you to enjoy this moment with us because it won't last forever. I don't think they're going to think how awesome my Instagram story video is. They're looking at me and saying, Dad, put the phone away. I want you to make stories and make memories in real life with us instead of trying to share it with other people. For me, I was wrecked this week. This is not a message against social media. It is an amazing tool. What an amazing tool social media is, but it also can be an awful distraction. And for me, looking at the reality that 10% of my 2019 might be spent on my device and not with the people that God has called me to shepherd and love was challenging. The word of God here is challenging us to be careful how we live, to pursue this wisdom, the ability to see life from God's perspective. How? Make the most of your time. The question we have to ask Hope Church as we finish up tonight is, are we doing that? Are you and I looking at our lives and saying, I am making the most of the allocated, fixed moments that I have on this planet? And then Paul gives us a word of warning. He says, make the most of your time, here's the word of warning, because the days are evil. Kind of a weird phrase, the days are evil. What does that mean? Well, we believe it means a few things. Namely, it means that we are living today in the last days. Now, that's not to freak anybody out or to make people think we're, we're talking about the book of Revelation or anything tonight, but we are, by biblical standards, living in the last days. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, and we don't know all the finer points of how he's coming back, but we understand we have a promise from our Savior that one day he is going to rule and reign and step foot on this earth and say, I am king, I am boss, and establish his kingdom on this planet. And the question we have to ask is, is my life right now set up for being ready for that? Paul says, make the most of your time. Because we are living in the last days. So is my life characterized by acting like I'm ready for that? If I'm not careful and intentional and serious about my walk, my time will be stolen from me. Your time will be stolen from you. Talk to people today, talk to people all the time that look back at minutes that added up to hours that added up to weeks, to months, to years, to decades, and they say, man, I wasted it. The challenge for us today is we don't have to waste it. If we are careful to guard and watch over our lives and be serious about our walks with the Lord, pursuing him and pursuing that wisdom, asking, begging God, give us that ability to see life from your perspective. Give me the ability to guard my time and make the most of it because I understand the days are evil. Paul closes this passage in verse 17. He says, so then do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. As the Holy Spirit through Paul is challenging us to walk in wisdom and make the most of our time, he reminds us once again to fight this foolishness that is so easy for us to slip into. And then he uses the phrase at the end, understand what the will of the Lord is. One of the most common questions and one of the most talked about topics in Christianity is, God, what is your will for my life? 
I've asked that several times in my life early on when I was following Jesus. What is your will for my life? Most theologians and commentators agree that what Paul is saying here is he's really wrapping up this packet, this passage with a bow. And he's saying, as you and I are careful in our lives and serious about our walk, as we pursue God and ask him for wisdom, making the most of your time, you will find yourself joyfully walking in his will. The point here is not to get tripped up on God's will and what it is or what it isn't. Here's what I've seen in my life and countless others and you've seen in your lives. You show me a man or a woman who is passionately, intentionally, with discipline, guarding and being careful of their walk with the Lord. They are daily pursuing God's wisdom, daily in the Word, saying, God, I need your perspective on my life today. You show me somebody who's doing that and getting in God's Word and saying, God, show me what you have for me today. Show me how to see life from God's perspective. Show me how to make the most of my time. I'll show you somebody who's walking joyfully in the will of the Lord. Problem is a lot of times people don't open their Bibles because we got enough wisdom. I've been doing this for long enough. They're not careful. They're just kind of walking through, not living on purpose, not living with intention. They're squandering their time, not on what God's called them to, but what, what they want to do with their time. And then they're over here saying, God, why don't you speak to me? Show me your will for my life. God says, be careful in how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because you are living in days that are evil. So don't be foolish. And then you'll understand what my will is. That, Hope Church, is how we walk in wisdom. Let's pray together tonight. Jesus, you are good to us. God, this week has been painful in some ways with the way I have felt challenged by your word. God, but it has been so fresh and so real to just see you press down in areas of my life. God, I pray that right now as we just take a few minutes to respond, that you would do the same for the people of the night crew. God, as we respond, we give you full reign, Holy Spirit of God. Do what you want. Would people move closer to you because of what you're doing and would they follow you in obedience, whatever it is that you're calling them to do. Anytime I hear a message from God's word, it's always helpful for me just to ask some questions as evaluation. So right there where you're seated, just between you and God, these are questions I kind of walked through before I stepped on this stage this weekend in my own heart and life. Maybe you would just do some business with God for the next few minutes. Here's the first one. Ask yourself, am I exercising care over my life? Am I serious about the walk that God has given me by his grace in a relationship with him? Am I serious? Am I careful with how I live? Maybe for you, the answer would be not really. I've, I've kind of slipped into, I've done this before. The whole thing is kind of worn off. And so I, I've kind of started to do my own thing. Maybe today your response is to say, God, I understand every single day I need you to remind me how much I need you and how much I need to walk in a way that is careful, being serious about this thing that you've called me to. Second question tonight is, maybe you would ask God, God, am I asking you daily for this wisdom, this ability to see life from your perspective, or am I relying each day in my workplace, in my family, 
and my school, am I relying on my own knowledge? Or am I begging you every single day for wisdom? It doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus, every single day you need the wisdom of God. And I love that James says, if you want that, just ask for it. He'll give it to you. So are you asking God for wisdom or are you relying on your own knowledge today? Lastly, ask, am I intentional about my time? Or am I missing out on crucial moments? Am I, am I wasting the allocated, fixed season of time that I have been placed on this planet? Only you can answer that question. Your, your spouse can't answer that question. Your friend can't answer that question. Only between you and God say, God, am I really making the most of my time that you've given me? If you're not a Jesus follower here tonight, we're really glad you're here. It's so cool every week to see all the people that come. They're interested in faith or they were invited by somebody who knew they needed a relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you are here tonight. But we never, no matter what we're talking about in God's word, we never want to miss an opportunity to share with you the good news of Jesus. The good news that we as Jesus followers have all come to believe and to trust in. The fact that apart from, from, from Jesus, we were separated from God. Because of our sin, we were separated from God. Maybe right now you, because of your sin, are separated from God. But Jesus stepped in. He stepped into human history. He paid the debt of your sin and my sin on a cross. And he rose again to defeat death, hell, and the grave. To show that he was sovereign and he was ruler over that. And today, that same generous God that we ask wisdom of is ready to give you forgiveness for everything you've ever done and everything you'll ever do. The gospel today is that you can begin a relationship with Jesus, not because of what you've done, but because you haven't done, but because of what he's done, who he is. So in just a moment, we're gonna stand and sing and our pastors are gonna be up here. We would love to invite you to respond tonight by just saying, I need a relationship with Jesus. We would love to show you from God's word how you can begin a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And for all of us as we close, when Jesus finished up what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he actually talks about everything we talked about today when it comes to wisdom and foolishness. And the Sermon on the Mount is this amazing thing where he kind of goes through all these different situations in life. And here's what Jesus says at the end of that sermon. He says, if you hear what I just said and you do what I just said, if you walk in it, if you walk in obedience to all the stuff I just said, you are like a man who built his house on a rock. He is a wise man. And when the storms come and the winds come and the waves come, that house will stand because it is firm on a firm and fixed foundation. But he says, if, if you're out there and you hear everything we just said, I just said, and you choose to ignore it and say, I'm good now. I don't need that in my life right now. If you choose to ignore all that I said and you don't do it, you are like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And it doesn't matter how amazing that mansion looks, it's built on sand. So when the rains come and the waves come, that house will crumble because it's built on the wrong foundation. 
God is calling us today to hear what he has said and to walk in obedience. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I believe we all have a step we can take in obedience today. And so right now, I'm gonna pray and then we're just gonna respond by singing. Maybe today you just need to come up here and you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you need to come up here and you need to just get on these altars and just cry out to God and say, I haven't been making the most of my time. I've been squandering this life. I don't know what it is for you. I don't even wanna try to fill in the blanks. But would we be like that wise man who built his house on the rock because we heard what God said and we walked in obedience. We didn't say, not for me. We didn't say, I'll do it later. We said, I'm gonna hear what God has said and I'm gonna walk in what he said. I'm gonna walk in what he's called us to.